You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. Again, we've been walking through a kind of a little section here about the power of God demonstrated in, in your life. And again, it's, it's rather phenomenal. Paul begins to talk about your life before Jesus. He talks about the fact that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and then begins to unpack that. And he's setting up an incredible contrast between your life in the flesh, your life under the authority of the world, your life just kind of lived in, this, in the character of rebellion and, and selfishness and I want to do what I want to do. And he contrasts that by this incredible phrase in verse 4, but God... <laughs> which is, is so beautiful. Again, because of the, just the reality of, of all that God has pulled you out of and all that God has done, you are not the same. And again, it goes back to that 2 Corinthians 5.17 passage that, hey, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So much, in fact, that Paul says that the only way that we can describe the new is that you are a brand new creature or creation, that, that the old truly has passed away. That thought process, that attitude, that lifestyle, that just that, that living that you've had, that, that authority that you've been under, all that selfishness and darkness and sin, all of that has been passed, passed away. And behold, you are living in a brand new reality called the reality of Jesus. Now you're filled with his spirit. Now you begin to live out the realities of, of the gospel and, and of life because he's done this marvelous work in you. So again, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read verses uh, 4 and 5 with you, uh, just so that they're kind of ingrained in our mind. Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Wow, what an incredible reality. That in the middle of all the darkness, in the middle of all the death, in the middle of all the damnation, in the middle of all the, just the, the, the life that I've lived up to this point, God stepped in the middle of that thing, and I'm no longer living under death. I'm now in this kingdom of life. I'm no longer in the place of darkness. I'm in a place of light. And again, he's setting up this incredible contrast. Now, all of this is taking place, according to Paul, verse 4, because God is rich in mercy. Now, we looked at this last time. I, oh, this is such a cool thought to me. God is rich in mercy. We were looking at this idea of, of the Old Testament idea of hesed and, and who God is. God is a God of hesed. And again, that word hesed, it's really hard to translate it. But uh, in the New Testament, that word would be translated typically as mercy. In the Old Testament, uh, it gives this idea of loving kindness. It has this idea of faithfulness has this idea of steadfast love, has this idea of devotion, covenant, loyalty, uh, that, those kind of, that, that kind of an idea. And what Paul is, seems, seems like what he's doing is he's picking up that idea from the Old Testament and he says, hey, this God that we have learned all about throughout our history, that he is a God of covenant, he's a God of mercy, he's a God of faithfulness, he is a God of hesed, that same God is working in your life and he brought you out of, out of a place of death and brought you into a place of life. And again, I read this last time, but Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, it says, 
that the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed and faithfulness, keeping hesed for thousands of generations. Do you realize that our God is a God who abounds in hesed, abounds in mercy and faithfulness? Lamentations 3 talks about the fact that great is your faithfulness, your hesed is new every morning. And again, it's amazing to me that Paul, is, it seems like he's picking up on that idea of the Old Testament. Again, he was trained as a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament incredibly well. And he says, this same God who was working in your life, who was demonstrating his power in you, is, is the same God who is abundant in mercy. And he keeps hesed for a thousand generations. That he just delights in his hesed. He just delights to give mercy. He just, oh, he just delights to pour forth his love, his steadfast love upon you. Now, in our passage in verse 4, Paul goes on, which is what we're going to focus on this morning, and Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. That God, think about this, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved you, made you alive in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that you are loved now, I know if you grow up in the church, <laughs> it's like, well, yes, of course, God loves me. He has to love me. He is love. He has no choice. I know, I know. But do you really understand that it's not just he has to love you. He wants to love you. He delights in loving you. He just, he just can't help himself. He's just so overwhelmed with the love for you that he gave himself for you. He was willing to give you all things that you need for life and for godliness. Why? Because of his great love with which he loved you. Now, I don't know if we could ever talk enough about God's love. I, I do think we talk not enough about the judgment and God's wrath and the fact that if you reject his love, there is only judgment available. I, I do think we don't talk about that enough. But when you start to look at this idea that God is love, the fact that he has loved us, we are, and I know in our culture today, we, we've gotten mushy and it's, it's become very apathetic in one sense where it just becomes like, oh, the love of God and, and because of that I can do whatever I want. That, that's not what scripture says at all. But when you really get to the heart of how God has loved you and who he is as love, I, I think it is such a bottomless well that we could just ponder this idea for years and decades and the rest of our life and still never come to the bottom of it. So when we talk about this love, this great love with which he has loved us, and we're going to do it, you know, just in a few minutes this morning, realize that this is not the end. This is not, this is merely the tippity tip of the top of the shaved ice on top of the iceberg of this reality. Because our God is a God of love. I want to walk through some passages with you talking about this idea that our God is a God of love. Because it's true. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, John writes, By this we know love. Think about this. How do we know love? How are we going to understand this idea of agape? Or agape? Right? That, that agape love of God, that, that agape is that, is that unconditional, sacrificial, unselfish kind of love. Now, we know that in the, in the Greek language, there was four major or four main words for the word love. And depending on how you wanted to use that, it kind of gave a different expression, right? There's a family kind of love. There's a friendship kind of love. There's a sensual, sexual kind of love. 
And then there was this other love that the Greeks, I mean, it's used in Greek literature, but it wasn't there, you know, it wasn't there a lot. And it's like the, Christ, the Christian, the early church, it's like they begin to use this word agape and begin to package it with this new meaning. And, and it, we often call it, the, you know, God, God's love or the God kind of love, which is for the most part true. There is a few passages, <laughs> like there's a passage in John 3, which is a little awkward because it talks about being full of sin and loving sin and, you, and uses that word. So it's not exclusive in that sense. But the idea of agape, the way that Scripture uses it, it's, it's, it's an unconditional, it's a sacrificial, typically it's an unselfish kind of love. You can't earn it, you can't get rid of it. You're just obsessed and overwhelmed and you're just, wow, I just, hey, the best illustration of, of agape is, of course, you know, you can beat it, you can nail it to a tree, put a crown of thorns upon it, and he's still going to love you. Because he is love, and this is the greatest demonstration of love. See, it's, it's sacrificial, it's unconditional, it's, it's unselfish. It's, he did this for you. This is, this is agape. But John says, by this we will know love. Oh, how, how are we going to know love? Listen to what John says. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Do you know how you're going to understand the love of God? Do you know how you're going to wrap your mind around his overwhelming love? The cross. See, in, in our passage in Ephesians 2, 2 verse 4, right? Here is God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. It's that Romans uh, 5a passage that while I was shaking my fist in God's face, hey, while I was seeking rebellion, while I was spitting at him, see, Christ died for me. See, how, how do I know the love of God? I only know the love of God because of how he has demonstrated that love by bringing about my salvation. He has laid down his life voluntarily on my behalf, and I did not deserve it. And again, if you listen to the last session, it goes back to that idea of hesed. See, this idea of hesed is, see, from the one whom I should expect nothing from gives me everything. See, here is God, and the one thing I should expect from God, the one thing I should seek from him is judgment and wrath and punishment. Why? Because I'm full of sin and darkness and death, and I've been living in transgressions and sins. And the one thing I should expect is, is judgment but what does he give me? He doesn't give me that which I expect. In fact, I should expect nothing from him. But what does he give me? He gives me everything. Right? 2 Peter 1.3 says that in Jesus, he has given me all things that I need for life and for godliness. That in him, I have all that I need. And by this, I shall know love, says John. Oh, that I begin to grapple and understand his sacrifice on my behalf. And when I begin to understand his sacrifice, it shows me the, the overwhelming reality of, of, of his love. First uh, John chapter 4 uh, is just an incredible passage. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there and look at this. First John chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 16, John is, is walking through this argument about the love of God. And listen to what John says. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So how do I know I've been born of God and know God? Oh, it's because the love of God is really flowing through my life to the people around me. Therefore, we ought to love one another. He goes on and says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So if God is love, and I know God, then it 
logically flows, says John, that you should be loving other people. But if I'm not loving, then I actually don't know God because he is love itself. Now get this. God is not an emotion. God is not a feeling, right? He, he's not this, woo, I got a goosebump. Oop, that's God. See, <laughs> he's not an emotion called love. See, the reality of the fullness of love is his nature. He is love itself. See, he's not, he's not some twisted version. He is the pure, undiluted form of love. He is love itself. Oh, it's so awesome. And it's not that he has love. He is love. Just like we've talked about in the past, he, he doesn't merely have life. He is life. He doesn't have truth. He is truth, right? I mean, he's, he's not just a way. He is the way, right? There, there's all this idea contained in Jesus. He doesn't just have light. He is the light. That, that, it, that it's almost like apart, apart from Jesus, there is no true love. And, and I'm not talking about the worldly, fleshly stuff that the world has taken and run off with and says, oh, I love you and all that. I'm not talking about that. When you get to the very heart of true love, which is sacrificial, unconditional, and unselfish, it's Jesus. Because he is, he is it itself. Does that make any sense? In other words, he's not an emotion. It's not that he's just this feeling. But hey, if you are experiencing it, hey, if you have agape love, woo, you've got Jesus. Because the only way to have the agape love is to have Jesus, which is what John is telling us. God is love. So if love is coming out of my life, if true agape is coming out of my life, then it means I've been acquainted and I actually know him. He fills my life and therefore love comes out of me. See, I cannot look at one person and say, I hate you, and still say, oh God, I love you. Because the reality is if I truly knew the love of God, I could not, I, even if I wanted to, I couldn't hate the person. Isn't that interesting? So, so John says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Then he says this, yeah, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent, how is love displayed? God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. And if you just jump down a couple of verses to verse 19, John says, we love because he first loved us. Do you realize that God has an overwhelming love for you? See, it's just like he cannot help himself. He is so overwhelmed because it's not that he has love. He is love. And as such, he just cannot help but live out of that love. See, he has this hesed, this steadfast love, this kindness, this mercy, and he delights to live in that reality. So what does he do? How did he show forth this love? Oh, he came and he died for you. And if you want to see the ultimate expression of love, look at Jesus upon the cross because he did not hoard love, he dumped love. See, he did not 
hold back. He gave everything. And now you get to experience not death, not damnation, not darkness. Now you get to experience life, salvation, and light. Wow. In him. And by this we know the love of God, says John. So again, Paul in our, on our passage, Ephesians 2.4, says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. See, God has shown forth the great love with which he loved us. See, God so loved the world that he gave himself on our behalf. See, God so loved the world that he didn't, he didn't just write us all off and just flick us into the abyss, and he just says, well, I'll, <laughs> I'll start over. See, God in his overwhelming love says, hey, I'm going to aggressively go after you and I'm going to supply all that you need and I'm going to die upon the cross so that you could be forgiven, your shackles could be broken and so that you may walk in the newness of life so that I can fill you with my very spirit so I can have relationship with you and so that I can use you as a vessel in this world to show forth my hesed and my love to the people around you. That is so good. (laughs) Now there's pictures, there's glimmers, there's shadows of this throughout the Old Testament. And uh, again, this is all over the place, but let me just give you a couple of them. Uh, the book of Hosea. Oh, I love, I love the prophetic book of Hosea. Uh, here's this godly man, and, and God comes to Hosea and says, Hosea, <laughs> I, I, ha- I have something for you. I want you to do something for me. And of course, you know, hey, if God speaks to you, you know, of course you'd be like, yes, absolutely, God, whatever you want. And God says, uh, by the way, this is not a (laughs) word-for-word translation. (laughs) This is just Nathan putting myself in the story and thinking this through. So you'll have to give me a little bit of uh, license. We don't have all the play-by-play details in Hosea. But but here's the idea. God comes to Hosea and says, here's here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute. (laughs) If I was Hosea, I'd be like, God, um, I know I just said I'll do whatever you want uh, want me to do, and I, I appreciate that you're talking to me and that you have a job for me, but a prostitute? God, do you, do you understand what a prostitute is? I am a, I'm a godly Jewish man, and, and uh, I, don't, I don't hang out with prostitutes. I do not talk with prostitutes. In fact, I don't even look at prostitutes. I mean, I, I, am, I am Hosea. I'm a godly man. And God says, I know. I want you to go marry this prostitute. So could you imagine? Here's Hosea. He's, he's marching down into the, uh, the, 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 the little town, and he stands at the market in the middle of the street and, you know, of course, they have this auction block up and they start auctioning off uh, people and animals and whatever and they bring up this prostitute and she's selling herself into bondage and, and God presses Hosea and he feels, Hosea feels this nudge and he just goes, oh no, you know, and what am I going to do? And, and so the auctioneer says, well, hey, who, who, wants, to, who wants to take her? And and of course, could you imagine Hosea? He probably covers his face and raises his hand. It's like, oh, I'll take her. Right? And this guy bids him up. He's like, oh, I'll take her. And finally, you know, the auctioneer just says, hey, sold to Hosea, the man of God. <laughs> could you imagine that walk home? Uh, they're walking home. And of course, you know, Hosea is looking at Gomer, the, this prostitute. And in her mind, she's probably thinking, well, he only wants one thing. And men, men are men. And have you ever thought about what this must have been like from her perspective, though? See, I've never met a young woman who, who grew up saying, wow, you know, you know what I, I want to be when I grow up? Oh, prostitute. <laughs> See, no girl wants to be a prostitute. They, hey, they're a princess. Or, you know, I mean, they, they have these dreams. 
But obviously, somehow in Gomer's life, something has happened. Trage- tragedy has stuck, struck, and she's had to sell herself off into slavery of the worst kind. And, and could you imagine her up on the seller's block? And she's probably muddied and, and probably bruised, and she's just filthy. And of course, she's humiliated. You know, she's standing in front of everybody, and people are bidding on her. Of course, she probably has her head down and just like, oh, let's just get this over with. And so if you can imagine this walk home with, with Hosea, and as, as they're walking, of course, you know, she's just thinking, man, this is just horrible. And man, I'll, I'll, my desire to be a good wife and have a family has been, you know, that was destroyed years ago. And here's this man, he probably just wants one thing. And, and Scripture doesn't tell us, but I imagine that Hosea brought her home and cleaned her up and gave her a bath and gave her some new clothes. In fact, Ezekiel 16 is a great picture of what God has done for us using a similar kind of a concept. But, you know, he cleans Gomer up and gives her some jewelry. And, of course, Gomer probably comes up and says, well, all right, well, what do you want? And my guess is, you know, Jose is a godly man. He probably just says, you know what, I just, nothing. I don't, I don't want anything from you right now. And it's interesting, over, over time, God gave Jose a, a genuine, genuine love for Gomer. Uh, they eventually, you know, they, had, they were married and, and had, had a few kids with some weird names. <laughs> and uh, one day, Hosea uh, gets up and he, he rolls over on, in bed to give his wife a kiss. And, and uh, she wasn't there. And that's odd. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe she went down to the well to draw some water. And so, you know, he got up and started, you know, getting the kids ready for school and all that kind of stuff. And Gomer still hadn't returned back. And with a little bit of concern, he runs over and he runs, runs down to the well and didn't see her and runs over to the neighbor's house. Hey, have you, have you seen Gomer? No, I haven't seen her. And he, he leaves the kids with a friend and he runs down to the town and he's searching, he's diligently searching everywhere, desperately trying to find, desperately trying to find Gomer. And he hears some commotion down on the, in the middle of the street and he goes down there and here's an auctioneer and he's, he's you know, selling off some things and he, he runes down there, maybe she's down there, you know, buy, to buy another goat or something. And he runs down there, and, and to his horror, he sees his beloved wife. Now think about this. She was a prostitute. But Hosea genuinely came to the point where he, he genuinely loved her. And he looks, and here she is up on the seller's block again. And that night she had gone and ran back to all of her old stuff. And, and here she is, she's, she's selling herself back into prostitution. Could you imagine the, just the devastation that Hosea would have had for Gomer? And of course, the auctioneer starts, and this man over here in the corner raises his hand and says, Hey, I'll, I'll take her. Would you know what that must have done to Hosea for a man to be bidding on his wife? My, my guess is Hosea says, I don't care what the cost is. I don't, I don't care what it's going to do. I, I, I've got to win her back. And so he bids. And of course, the man bids higher, and he keeps on bidding and says, hey, I'll, I'll, hey there, there's no amount of money that I won't give to, to, to restore her because, she, hey, she is my wife. Could you imagine what Gomer must be feeling? Here she is back up on the seller's block, and all of her dreams had been shattered the first time. But somehow, Hosea had restored and brought, her about, brought about all of her dreams. Here she is, a wonderful wife and, and mother, and, and all the things that she thought she had lost, she, she now had returned to her. And what did she do? In one moment of stupidity, in just one moment, of, she sold it all back. And, and now here she is, and, and, and man, my husband's never going to re, re, you know, re, uh, let me return to him, and my kids will never look at me again, and I've, I've lost everything. How could I have been so dumb? And she starts hearing the bidding go up and up, and she's just like, oh, this is, 
And finally, the auctioneer says, sold. Could you imagine what it must have been like for Hosea to take the hand of his wife and say, hey, let's, let's go home. I bought you a second time. Let's, hey, I'll clean you up. And hey, don't, hey, don't worry. It's going to be okay. And, and my guess is, you know, he picked her up and carried her, carried her back home. And the whole time, he's just whispering in her ear saying, Oh, Gomer, it's okay. I, I, I love you. And, and hey, God, hey, we can restore this. And hey, hey, I, hey, this is okay. Hey, it's okay. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. Now, it's in the middle of that whole scene that God speaks to Hosea in the book of Hosea. And Hosea, God says, hey, look, now, now you know how I feel about my bride, Israel, who has went out and prostituted herself with the whole world and went out and just shamed herself and she has sold herself back in us. Hey, I purchased her. I brought her out of the world. Hey, I gave her all that she needed. And what did she do? She went out and went back and prostituted herself. And hey, I, hey, I love my bride, says God. And I'm going to go back after her. And just as you have loved Gomer, and just as you have this genuine affection and you're willing to do anything for her and pay any price, God says, hey, I am going to pay the highest price because I'm going to give myself and the death of myself for the, for the life of my bride. Why? Because I love her. Listen to what, Hosea, or what God says in Hosea 2, chapter 2, verse 16 and 19. Oh, this is so good. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me Ishi, which means my husband, and I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy do you hear that? God says, Hosea, hey, just as you have loved Gomer and you are willing to pay any price, I am willing to pay any price for my bride. And there's coming a day, says God, that my bride is going to look at me and call me Ishi, my Ishi, which means my husband. Why? Because God, who is full of a great love, has loved us. And we are the twice-purchased because of God's overwhelming love for us. Hey, we should have expected God to just send us and punish us and, and, and send us to hell for eternity. But what did he do? He stepped in the middle of that. But God stepped into the middle of that and redeemed and rescued and gave himself on the cross a demonstration of his love so that we could experience life and relationship with him. I love Isaiah 62, 5. This is, so, this is so good. Isaiah 62.5 says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Do you know how God rejoices over you? Like a bridegroom rejoicing over the bride. I've never once seen a bridegroom on a wedding day, you know, as the bride starts coming down the aisle, that he starts going, you know what? I hate that woman. <laughs> I mean, I have seen the man cry, but, you know, I think it's because he's happy, I think. <laughs> Do you know how God rejoices over us? God rejoices over us the same way that a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. Haven't you ever watched the bridegroom? Uh, the music starts, the doors open, the bride comes down. And uh, typically, if I'm at a wedding, I don't look at the bride. I, I turn and I look at the groom. And, and the reason being is I, I, mean, I know the bride is beautiful, and, but she's going to come up front and, you know, and, and I'll, be able to, I'll be able to look at her then and go, woo, great dress, and wow, she's gorgeous, and all that kind of stuff. But 
while she's walking down the aisle, I, I want to see the groom's expression. I, I want to just see what he's, what he's doing. And so typically everyone turns to the back, and of course I'll, I'll, I'll turn toward the groom. I'll just kind of look at him and you know, see what he's doing. See, again, I've never seen a, a groom who's just like, you know what, Psst, take your time. See, usually he's bouncing on his toes like faster, faster, faster. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, like he just, he wants, he so delights and loves his bride. He just can't stand it. He just, he wants to spend time with her. In fact, more often than not, of course, you know, the father will place her hand in his hand. And if you ever watch his expression, it's usually like, oh, she touched me. It's her hand, right? It's, it's that kind of a stuff. And as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, do you know what God does? He rejoices over you just like that. See, see, God does not look at you while you're sleeping going, oh, oh no, your alarm's about to go off. You know, your alarm goes off. He's like, you know what? Hit snooze a few more times. It'll, it'll give me some peace and quiet for the day. See, God does not do that. See, as you're sleeping, he's just there going, oh, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. I just cannot wait till you wake up. Why? Because I want to spend time with you. I just, I just love you so much. I just, we don't even have to talk. I just want to spend time. I just want to have life with you. I just, See, God rejoices over you like a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. I love that old hymn, The Love of God. Listen to the lyrics. This is, man, this is awesome. The hymn says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Here's the chorus. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Now listen, listen to the third verse. I love this. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Now, if you're not a poet, let me explain what, it, what it's saying. Uh, the, the hymn writer says, hey, if we, if we could take all this expanse of the skies and turn that into parchment, some paper, and every blade of grass and, and every twig and every tree becomes writing utensils, and then we take all the water of the ocean and that becomes ink, in order, and then every single person on earth became someone who all they did all their whole life was just write about the love of God. So they dipped their, you know, their stalk into the water or into the ink and, and started writing upon the expanse of the sky. He says there is no way that the skies could contain all the words. Hey, we would drain the oceans before we could finish talking about the love of God. Do you realize that the love of God is indescribable? That the love of God, his overwhelming mercy and grace and goodness is truly beyond human explanation. That is so good. And because of his great love, he has looked at your life and says, hey, there is a barrier between me and you. There is this thing called sin, and I have got to remove that so that I can have relationship with you. See, there, there is something hindering us, and I, I cannot have that in the way. So I'm willing to give myself and die upon the cross so that I can remove your sin, so that I can fill your life with my very spirit, so that you would actually have life, and then we can have intimacy and relationship, so that you can be used as a vessel for me to use in this world. Well, let me give you a few verses about this idea of him removing our sin. This is all because of his great love. 
Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 38, 17, But you have lovingly, O God, delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Meaning he's not looking at them. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I am he, says God, who blots or wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isn't that awesome? Nehemiah 9.17 says, But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and you did not forsake us. Daniel 9.9, To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. So here we are, we've, we've shaken our face, fist in his face. We've rebelled against God, but what has he done? He has shown us mercy and forgiveness. Micah 7, 19, he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins in the depths of the sea. I love what uh, Croy Tim Boom says about this verse. She says, God has cast all our sins in the depths of the sea and then he plant, you know, he put, he posts a little sign that says no fishing allowed. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Do you know what God has done in his overwhelming love? See, he is, he's taken our sin, our transgressions. And again, all of this is before Jesus. It's, it's all a precursor. It's all looking to the future saying, God, hey, you, you have this on your heart. You are a God full of mercy and, and hesed, this, this abundance of kindness and steadfast love. And because of your great love, hey, we know what you're doing. But they had fully not experienced it because this is only experienced in Jesus. And so it's like this foreshadow of what is coming down the line. And in Jesus, you know what he has done? He's, he's removed you from this place of darkness and put you in this place of light. He removed you from this place of death and he put you in a place of life. See, he's removed you from this place of damnation and he's put you in a place of salvation in Jesus. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about God's forgiveness. He says, this forgiveness, again, is given by the Lord Jesus Christ in the completest possible manner. He keeps no back reckonings. He retains no reserves of anger. He so forgives that he forgets. That is the wonder of it. He says, I will remember not thy sins. He casts them behind his back. They are holy and completely gone from his observation or regard. Alas, such is poor human nature that even fathers, when, when they have forgiven a wayward child, will perhaps throw the offense in his, uh, in his teen years after when he again offends. But this is never so with Christ. He says, your sins shall not be mentioned again anymore forever. He is done with the sins of his people in so effectual a way that not a whisper concerning them shall ever come from his mouth so as to grieve them. They will themselves remember their sins with deep repentance, but the Lord will never challenge them on account of their past rebellions. Blessed be the name of Christ for such complete forgiveness as this. Wow! Do you hear that? That when God forgives, he truly forgives. Why? His overwhelming love. Listen again to Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. 
See, there's this exchange that is taking place. He is giving his life for my life. See, he took on my sin so that I could take upon, his, take upon myself his life. Uh, Colossians 1, 2, uh, 12, 12 through 14 says this, giving thanks unto the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his, the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, God has taken upon himself my sin so that he could pay the penalty for my sin so that I might embrace and have his life. How is that, ha how is that happening? Why does that take place? Oh, because of the overwhelming love with which he has loved us. Are you, are you getting this? God aggressively, overwhelmingly, sacrificially, unconditionally, unselfishly loves you. Listen again to 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you realize that the love of God, the great love of God is manifested toward us in this? Christ died for us. And here in Ephesians, Paul is talking about that overwhelming reality. And in verses 1, and, 1 through 3, again, he's talking about the fact that, hey, I am full of sin and trespasses and death, but God stepped into the middle of that thing. And what did God do? Oh, but God who is rich in this abundant mercy, this abundant hesed, who is, who is love itself, has loved us with a great love and therefore has moved us from death unto life. Have you fully experienced that? And if you have experienced that, why wouldn't, why wouldn't we just be dumbfounded by that reality every moment of the day? See, we, we, we should never just pass. See, I don't know how to describe this. It's like, once we've been in the church for a while, it's like this becomes like, well, yeah, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord. I'm going to go about our merry way. No, do you realize that the fullness of God's love is seen in the death of, his death upon the cross? That when I begin to see my salvation and that what I deserve is an eternity of punishment and what he did instead is brought about life, that changes everything. See, I should go about my day just in the wonder of who he is and the, and the reality of his, his steadfast love and his mercy and his kindness and his goodness. See, I have been saved. I've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear son of whom he loves. Have you experienced the fullness of God's love? Do you recognize that God aggressively loves you? Do you realize that God rejoices over you like a bridegroom rejoices over the bride? Do you recognize that God has gone after you like Hosea went after Gomer? See, God loves us. In fact, if I'm even taking a step further, God likes you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. Because, I mean, I recognize there's some people in our lives that we, we love, but that doesn't mean necessarily we like them. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you go to family reunions and you love the people and it's great, but you don't want to go on vacation with them, right? It's, 
But scripturally, and we don't have time to go through all this, but scripturally, God not only loves you, he does. He aggressively, overwhelmingly loves you, but he likes you. He wants to be your best friend. He wants just to have a relationship with you. He just wants to delight over you like a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Do you have that with Jesus? Are you walking in this newness of life? Are you walking in the reality of his love because he loves you? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Wow, I just, somehow I wish that I could understand your overwhelming love on a whole nother level. But Lord, truth be told, this isn't anything I can academically understand. I just need to experience it. That hey, that, that, hey, we could you know, write a book on the love of God. We could go through a checklist of the love of God, and that doesn't mean we're living in the reality of it. So Lord, somehow could you expand our understanding of your love because we experience it? Lord, I pray that, that we would freshly recognize that you pulled us from a kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your Son, that you pulled us out of death and brought us into life. Jesus, I just pray that, oh, we would understand what Paul is articulating in Ephesians by this idea of, but God, you who are rich, abundant in mercy and kindness with this overwhelming love with which you have loved us, set us free from the power of darkness, transferred us from the kingdom of death unto the kingdom of life. And now we are no longer enslaved to sin, but we are now have a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, I, I want to understand that on a whole nother level. I want to experience that on a whole nother level. Lord, let me never lose the wonder of the cross. Lord, let me never diminish the reality of your love because you have loved us with a great love as you so demonstrated upon the cross. Oh, let us live in light of that reality. We love you, Jesus. Oh, we give you the praise and the glory. Thank you for rescuing us from the power of darkness. Thank you. We love you. Just give you the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. No, I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.